Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Amen. Well, thank you so much for welcoming me this evening. It's a great opportunity to be here. And if you would, turn your Bibles to John chapter 11 this evening. John chapter 11. And uh, as Pastor Tice, Pastor Matt mentioned, uh, we have uh, been able to forge a friendship over the last several years. And uh, there are several pastors that have taken personal interest in a young pastor like me. Nothing to offer them, nothing to give. And uh, Pastor Matt's been one of, them, one of them, and he's been a great encouragement to me. And over the last uh, couple years ago, he was able to come down to Tucson and speak in our ministry. And then in just a couple months, in September, uh, Pastor Dave Tice is going to come down and speak in our marriage retreat. And we're so thankful for your investment, uh, your pastor's investment in our ministry. And I pray that tonight will be an encouragement to you as we look at John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, if you would, we're going to read a few verses this evening, uh, then we'll pray. If you would, join me in verse number 38. The Bible says this, Jesus, therefore again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And we had thus spoken, he cried forth with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Notice with me in verse number 45, the Bible concludes and says this, Then many of the Jews, which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Would you join me as we open in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful story here in John chapter 11. And Lord, sure enough, many of us have heard this story, many uh, probably throughout our time here at church. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this story with fresh eyes and with fresh ears, God, I pray that you will speak to all of us this evening. God, we love you. We thank you so much for this wonderful time uh, during the middle of the week where we could come and just take a drink of cool water from your word and be encouraged. And Lord, I pray that tonight that everyone who is here will leave encouraged and refreshed from your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As a young kid, I grew up in South Carolina with my parents and my two uh, siblings. And many times during Thanksgiving and Christmas, we would take an eight-hour drive from South Carolina and we would go northeast up to West Virginia. West Virginia was where my dad was born and raised, and that's where my grandparents lived at the time. I remember going up there for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and usually we would leave after church because my dad's a pastor, and we'd leave Sunday night after church, and we'd drive eight or nine hours, and we'd pull into the driveway at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. 
Now, for whatever reason, I know my grandparents were excited for us to be there, but we had to wait in the car until about 6 o'clock in the morning. And so I remember that we would sit in the driveway there, and sure enough, the sun would rise, the, the, the chickens that they had would start going, the hats would start going crazy, and then we'd be able to go inside and have a great time with my grandparents there in West Virginia. And we had all sorts of memories that we had in West Virginia. But the ones that I remember the most is that there's 11 cousins that we had. And every night our, our, when we got there, all the cousins would get together. And my papa would take us all up into the, the attic that they had there, the little loft. And we would all get on one bed together. And he would sit there and he says, a long time ago. And he would get there and he would begin telling this story with vivid details. And all of us young kids are at the moment, we're just like, he is the greatest storyteller that has ever lived. Disney has nothing on him because he can make everything magical. And we would sit there with captivation and, and my papa was the greatest storyteller ever. You know, as I was thinking about this message tonight and I was thinking about our lives, my papa was a, a wonderful storyteller. But you know, every one of us in our lives, we are also telling a story every single day. And here in this passage in, in John chapter 11, I'm going to look at five chapters of Lazarus's life tonight. Five chapters of Lazarus's life. And if you would, notice with me in verse number 38, for the first chapter is a serious situation. The serious situation. Now, if you know a little bit about the Bible, you know that Lazarus was someone who was very dear and near to Jesus' heart. In fact, we see that in verse number 38. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. Jesus was ministering in a town of Bethabara, which was about 20 miles away from the city of Bethany, where Lazarus was. And in the city of Bethany, there was a family who Jesus was very well accustomed to. In fact, several times throughout the Bible, in, in Luke chapter 10 and in John chapter 12, we see Jesus going to the very house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we know that this is a serious situation for two reasons. First of all, we see in this story that there was the loss of life, the loss of life. Jesus is sitting there ministering in the city of Bethabara, and a messenger comes to him, and you could just picture it. He's running all this way. He finally gets there. He puts his hands on his knees and says, Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. And in these moments, we see Jesus having this quandary of what should he do? Should he leave Bethabara and go to the city of Bethany, or, or what exactly should he do? And there, there, but we know that there must have been a true friendship between Jesus and Lazarus for the messenger to have uh, to, to address Jesus that way, that the one whom thou lovest is sick. And as Jesus receives this news, he is not moved immediately to go to Bethany for some reason. And the Bible says in verse number six that he resides in Bethabara for two additional days. Jesus knew what was going on with his omniscience that he has, but we understand that he stood there in Bethabara for two additional days. And eventually, Jesus makes his way to Bethany, and sure enough, by this time, we know the story now that Lazarus had ultimately died. In fact, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and this suggests that Lazarus died the day that Jesus had been told the news that Lazarus was sick. And as Jesus enters Bethany, he is greeted by Martha and then eventually by Mary. And Jesus clearly sees the emotional toll that is on them and the weeping that they have and the wailing that they had. And we understand that Jesus ultimately succumbs to that same emotion and he weeps as well. 
And in this Jewish culture, a deceased person wasn't buried underground. They were put in a tomb or they were placed beneath a bunch of rocks. And in this case, it appears that Lazarus was placed in the ladder in a tomb. He was placed inside the tomb with a large stone covering the entrance to the tomb. And as Jesus is told to follow the tomb, he sees everyone around him crying. In verse 35, the shortest verse of the Bible, we see that Jesus ultimately weeps himself. And isn't it comforting to know that Jesus, the one that we get to serve, understands the feelings that we have in our own lives? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And in the midst of the range of feelings of this life, we can go confidently and boldly to the throne of God and we can petition him of our requests. I'm so thankful for that. Now, this was a serious condition because we see that there was a loss of life. But really this evening, I don't want to focus too much on that. I really want to focus on the second part. This was a serious condition, not just because there was a loss of life. This was a serious condition because there was a loss of faith, a loss of faith. As we look at this story, notice the responses of Martha, Mary, and the Jews who were in, t- who were in attendance for this miracle. Let's look at Martha first. In verses 20 through 22, we see then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Martha was glad that Jesus was there. Finally, she thought, Jesus heard our prayers and he came. But alas, it's too late. Jesus, had you been here, he would have been alive, but he's not. And then we see that it goes on into verse number 39. She says, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Notice this, that somewhere between the entrance of the city to the entrance of the tomb, there was a death of the faith that Martha had. Why is that? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Notice that Mary also had lost faith. She says in verse number 32, Then when Mary was come, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And then we see in verse number 37, the Jews that were assembled, they said, And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have cause that even this man should not have died? All of these spectators, they were Mary, Martha, and the Jews. They were crying themselves. They were weeping. And here's what we see. Verse number 35, Jesus weeps himself. You can almost picture it. Mary, Martha, and the Jews are like, hmm. He's crying because he he, he can't do it. He's limited in his ability. And all these people, their, their lack of faith was affirmed. See, they thought that Jesus was weeping because he was unable to do anything. They are tears of deep regret. And here is a sad thing. In that moment, nobody present expected a miracle. They knew that Jesus could do it, but they didn't believe that Jesus would do it. They had faith that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. They had faith that he could have healed him from afar, but he didn't. So therefore, they believed that Jesus could do it, but their faith had gone to a point where they said, Jesus will not do it. 
They believed that God could do it, but not that he would. And the serious condition that existed at Lazarus's tomb is still present today. And I'm not talking about the loss of life per, uh, per se, but I'm specifically talking this evening about the loss of faith. You see, in this room tonight, there is someone who used to pray for a lost loved one. Because you believe that God could save your aunt and uncle. You believe that God could save your prodigal son. You believe that God could save your spouse. And you believe that God could do it. And you prayed for years and you said, God, where are you? God, I believe that you could, but now I don't believe that you will. Someone in this room used to actively share the gospel and you'd go out with the church and, and you would take this, this flyer and you'd go out and say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'd like to invite you to Liberty Baptist Church. And you believe that when you pass this invitation, you believe that the verses on the back have the power to save someone's life. And now you're like, well, I believe that I could do it, but I didn't see any results from it, so I'm not going to do it anymore. You see, we struggle, even myself, from a lack of faith, and, and we used to give by faith, believing that God would provide for our needs, but finances got tight, and we say, well, God, I believe that you could do it, but I don't believe that you will do it. Some of us in this room, we used to serve in ministry and serve with our spiritual gifts, and maybe we were burned in, uh, we were burned in the ministry, and we say, I would go back and serving, and I believe that God could use me, but I don't believe that God will use me. Some spouses in here used to serve their spouses and their children, but, but something happened along the way, and, and you've taken a step back, and you're not living a life of faith anymore. In this room collectively tonight, though, many churches struggle from a lack of faith as well. Our pastors get up, and we say, hey, we have a desire to see our community saved. Here's our opportunities for you to come out with us and to go evangelize and go to reach our community, and we're like, man, I believe that God could fill up this auditorium. Amen? I believe we should all believe that God can fill this auditorium, but I just don't believe that he will. And here's the danger of that. When we have a loss of faith, we limit our expectations of what God can do. And when we limit the expectations of what God can do, God is just waiting. He's like, I want to show you abundantly more than you can ask or think. But here's what we're saying. God, I believe you could do it. I just don't believe that you will do it. And here in this passage, what we see is that Mary and Martha and the Jews said, God, Jesus, if you would have just been here, but you weren't. So therefore, here's where we're at. And this serious condition leads secondly to a simple command by Jesus. A simple command by Jesus. Notice with me in verse number 39 of this passage. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Isn't that funny? So here they are, they're pouring out the heart. Jesus, if you would have just been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, take ye away the stone. Jesus was brought to the tomb, and the Bible says he himself was overcome with emotion, and he, he groaned in himself, and this was an inward mourning of what he was feeling. While we do not know what Jesus was thinking, we know that what he was feeling, and he expressed that through his tears. So Jesus is brought to the tomb where Lazarus was laid and he knew what was about to happen. The crowd was looking at Jesus and expecting him to do something great. So we see that it's almost like slow motion. Finally, Jesus is at the tomb. Everybody's just waiting. What is Jesus going to do? And he utters those few words and with all the power and all authority in the universe, he says, take ye away the stone. Now, we have knowledge of what Jesus did. 
He rose Lazarus from the dead. Spoiler. Sorry, we'll get there in a second. But he rose Lazarus from the dead. But here, why couldn't Jesus have just said, okay, I'm at the tomb. I'm going to take care of it from, from here. Well, this is what's important here is that uh, two, two truths about obedience this evening. Number one, ordinary acts of obedience pave the way for extraordinary acts of God. Ordinary acts of obedience pave the way for extraordinary acts of God. And all throughout the Bible, we can look at miracle after miracle after miracle where Jesus just said, do this, and they're like, a couple loaves, of, a couple of fish, a couple loaves of bread? Sure, Jesus, you, you take this. Okay, Jesus, okay, I'm going to take that and feed 5,000 people. And then Jesus says, hey, I know you've been fishing all night in Matthew chapter 5, and he says, or Luke chapter 5, I know you've been fishing all night, but hey, just go ahead and cast your nets on the other side. Jesus, we've literally been fishing all night. The Bible says we've been toiling all night. We've been working hard all night. And Jesus says, just cast your nets on the other side. And you can almost see him like rolling their eyes, fine. Boom goes the boat. Why is that? Because ordinary acts of obedience pave the way for extraordinary acts of God. You see, when, when Pastor Tice, some uh, 45 years or so, has had that burden on his heart, you know, I'm going to go to Vegas, Las Vegas, I'm going to start Liberty Baptist Church. You know what he did? He took a step of obedience. And the step of obedience 45 years ago has paved the way for an extraordinary act of God to where now we have hundreds of people here in Las Vegas and the gospel light is going out and all it took is one step of obedience. And guess what? That step of obedience that he took then is the same step of obedience that we could take today. When he says, hey, let's go out and knock our community. Let's go and evangelize our community. Okay, I'm just going to take a step of obedience. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do this. And ordinary acts of obedience pave the way for extraordinary acts of God. But secondly, I see that obedience precedes God's blessings. Obedience precedes God's blessings. All throughout our life, God wants us to be involved in his ministry and involved in his work. And as we do that, he pours his blessing upon us. So we see the simple command, and that's just to remove the stone. True faith always leads to obedience, but because Mary, Martha, and the Jews didn't have true faith, we see thoroughly this evening the sincere excuse, the sincere excuse. In verse number 39, the Bible goes on to say, or Jesus was said, take ye away the stone. And then it goes on to say, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus gave a simple command, yet Martha came back with a sincere excuse. I'm not sure if Martha forgot who Jesus was, but she thought he must have forgotten something pretty important. It's almost as if she said, hey, Jesus, can you come over here really quick? You smell that? Yeah, that's because Lazarus has been dead for four days. Like, there's, there's something that's happened, and it's called death, and it's almost like she's giving Jesus an anatomy lesson on how, what death hap- how death happens and what happens after death. And she says, Jesus, he's been dead for four days. And in fact, he, he has already begun the decomposing process. Jesus, he stinks. It's over, Jesus. Lazarus is dead. Now, let me ask you the question tonight. Was Martha wrong? Was Martha wrong? Frankly speaking, no, she wasn't. Martha was not wrong because Lazarus had been dead for four days. His body was already decomposing and he was beginning to stink. But what I see from this is that earthly conditions do not prevent heavenly interventions. 
earthly conditions do not prevent heavenly interventions. And Jesus is sitting here, mm-hmm, yeah, uh, mm, and that's interesting. The body's dead. And, well, guess what? I'm here now. And so here we are that, that Martha is saying, Jesus, th- there's a valid reason here why we can't do this. Furthermore, Martha remembered that in the Old Testament, rabbis and priests should not touch the dead. There's clear teachings in the Old Testament in Leviticus 21 verse 1 that someone who died should not be touched once they begin their decomposition. This would defile the person who touched the dead. Martha was simply reminding Jesus that it was over and that he couldn't touch her. Yet, here we see that Jesus was willing to interact with a dead, decomposing, filthy, stinky, and defiling body. Why? So he could show his power over the very thing that defined Lazarus. But let me ask you this question. What excuse do you tell Jesus? Hey, take this step of faith. Take this simple act of obedience, and you're like, Jesus, just hear me out. Hear my sincere excuse. What I have to tell you is very important, and and maybe it's a, God, I I just, I I kind of have a fear of man. I just don't know what they're going to think about me. So, God, it's real. It's a fear that I have, and Lord, I just don't think that I could do it. Maybe we have anxiety, or maybe say, "I, I don't have spiritual gifts. I can't do anything. Well, I'm sure, I think you heard last week that all of us have spiritual gifts to use in the body of Christ. So here we have a sincere excuse. Martha was sincere in her excuse, and frankly, she was giving a valid point. However, she eventually obeyed, and this paved the way for, we see the number four, the special miracle. The special miracle. In verse 40 through 44, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. Just, just picture the story. The, the stone was removed and everyone around the, 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 the crowd looked at Jesus and said, okay, what's the game plan? What's going to happen now? They were almost like waiting. Let's see what Jesus is going to do here. Let's just see what what power he has over this situation. And he looked up to heaven and thanked God for the power and oneness that he possessed with God. And he thanked God for the opportunity to use this miracle to point the crowd back to God the Father. And after this word, he said three words. Lazarus, come forth. I love what an old Puritan preacher said. If Jesus had not named Lazarus when he shouted, he would have emptied the whole cemetery. Because why? Because God and his, and his son, Jesus Christ, have power, that, that wonder-working power. With the power of his words, Jesus called Lazarus to come forth, and sure enough, Lazarus came to the edge of the grave, bound by the grave clothes that defined him. And really, isn't that such a great picture of salvation? Jesus called Lazarus to come forth out of the situation that defined him, and he came forth wearing the same baggage that what defined him. 
Lazarus was dead in the graveyard, bound by grave clothes and in bondage, bondage behind, the sin, behind the stone. Sinners are spiritually dead in the graveyard of sin, bound by grave clothes of sin and in bondage to their life of sin. Yet with the power of Jesus' words, they can be given spiritual life, which removes them from the graveyard of sin. It strips them of their grave clothes of sin and it gives them victory from their life of sin. Yet all of this happened because Martha removed the stone. She doubted initially. She said, Jesus, this is a sincere excuse. But finally, she removed the stone, and once she obeyed, it paved the way for an extraordinary act of God. As we close tonight, I want to look at number five, then a, a, store, a, a, a closing illustration. And number five, this special miracle led to a significant outcome. A significant outcome. If you would, notice with me in verse number 45, the Bible says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. The Gospel of John records seven miracles that Jesus performed. And each of these miracles showed that Jesus was truly God. Yet in this miracle, it was followed by a significant outcome. Now, the Jews had, that had come with Mary knew that Jesus could heal the blind because in verse number 37, they, they, they reference that. He could heal the blind, but he can't heal the dead. Yet it was evident that they did not truly trust him. They believed that God could, but they didn't believe that God would. And yet here, with an, one, act of, uh, one miracle, they all trusted in him. After seeing what they saw, they could not help but believe in Jesus. And Lazarus's healing led to the salvation of others. While these Jews got saved, there was a much more significant outcome. If you would join me in John chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. John chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. The Bible says, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. Now, who, who do you think he was referencing there? Lazarus. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. People knew that Jesus was there, but they wanted to see if Lazarus truly lived. Was this just an old wise table or tale? Was this just something that's been passed down through, uh, through the grapevine that Lazarus was dead and now he's alive again? Is this real? Well, sure enough, they, they come to him and they see him. Once they saw Lazarus, they saw Jesus. And once they saw Jesus, they saw true salvation. You know, Lazarus certainly had a story worth telling. And if you are saved tonight, you too have a story worth telling. You have been spiritually raised from the dead. You can tell others about Christ with the life that you live. But I'm afraid that many, many Christians are afraid to tell others about Jesus because their life does not show that they know Jesus. You know, I forgot to tell you a little bit earlier that my little bit of background about my papa. We lived in West Virginia, grew up there in West Virginia, and lived there really his entire life. And uh, he, uh, uh, before he got saved, my papa owned a bar. It's called Dave's Place. And that's where him and his family grew up. And my dad would tell stories where he learned how to walk behind the bar there at Dave's Place in Fairmont, West Virginia. My papa was a sinner. 
He can curse with the best of them. He can drink with the best of them. And, uh, and he, that's, that's what defined my papa. Well, someone came by his door. Can I invite you to my church? Get off my property right now. But you know, there were some people in my, my dad's family like, wait a second, tell me more about this. And sure enough, my Mimi gets saved and my, my dad and his sisters get saved and finally, my papa gets saved. And you know, it's pretty quickly after he gets saved, he realized, man, it's not the best thing for me to own a bar. It's not the best place for me to own a place where people could come and gamble and, and give everything away. So I'm not going to sell it because then that means someone else can do it. So I'm just going to close the place and keep the building. And that's what he did. He closed Dave's place and he says, I don't want to sell it. I'm going to keep it. And, and they, they ended up keeping it and for many years. And, and after that, he says, well, I have to have an income. So Dave, or my papa, would go, and he was able to go and work in a factory making light bulbs. Fun job, right? But he worked, he worked in that factory for the rest of his life until he retired. And I remember going up, even in West Virginia, even as he was retired, just, just having so much time with him. Now, my papa would never get up here. He was someone who was meek. He was someone who was mild, my, uh, uh, meek and mild. And he was just someone who, he, wasn't, he wouldn't talk a lot. But you could tell that something was different about him. Never forget when I was in fourth grade, uh, I, growing up, I was kind of called to the principal's, principal's office quite a bit. So it's kind of normal for me. But in fourth grade, I was called to the principal's office on one afternoon. And uh, I'm like, okay, did I do anything? And I, was, I was racking my brain. I'm like, I, I think this time I'm clean. I'm good. So I get to the principal's office, and I see my sister and my brother there. And I see my parents there as well, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? They're like, hey, we're going to go take a drive, and we're going to go to a store. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. I don't know why we do this. So we drive 10, 15 minutes down the road, and we go to where the interstate, I-85, is passing right through Anderson, South Carolina. And right there on the exit, there's a Russell Stover's. And we stopped there, and we got some ice cream, and it was wonderful, and we had a good time. And we were eating the ice cream, and in walked Papa and Mimi. And they walk in, and we had a great time, and and uh, while we were sitting there eating ice cream, my parents had already knew, but they sat down and they said, hey, just so you know, this will be the last time that you see Papa. He has terminal cancer, and uh, we're just passing through the area because we want to we say, I love you. Can't wait to see you in heaven. And I remember as a fourth grader, I, that was tough, seeing a, my Papa, this strong, my, a meek and mild man crippled with the disease of cancer. Several months later, we go up to West Virginia for his funeral. And as we're sitting there in his funeral, I don't remember a lot about, his, a lot about the funeral. I don't remember a lot about the stories that he told me on that bed up in the loft in Fairmont, West Virginia. But during his funeral, two ladies got up and they sang a song. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. They got up and they sang this song. When I enters heaven glory... And I see my Savior's face. I will offer him 10,000 years of praise. Then I'll find the special one in whose life I saw God's Son. And through tears of joy with trembling lips, these words I will say, I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. I could hear his voice in the words he said, I saw Jesus in you. In your eyes I saw his care, I could see his love was there. You were faithful, and I saw Jesus in you. 
I remember my papa was a phenomenal storyteller. But the greatest story that he told was his life story about pointing others to Christ. Because at his funeral, you know, there, a lot of his brothers and sisters were there who were still defined by the alcohol that was in their lives. They were still defined by the many fractured relationships that they had in their lives. And yet the only thing that was said about my papa was, I don't know, something, something was different about Dave. What is that? I saw Jesus in you. You know, every one of us in this room this evening have a, life to, have a story to tell. But let me ask you this question as we close. What story is your life telling? What story is your life telling? Would you join me as we close in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you so much for your word. And God, I thank you so much for the story of Lazarus and how, God, when he was changed, he told everybody. Lord, I thank you so much for my papa. When he was changed, he couldn't help but tell everybody. Lord, help us tonight in, in today's culture, in today's society. Lord, we have been changed from the, the life of sin. But God, help us not to cower and make our life tell, something, tell of a story that doesn't revolve around Christ. Lord, I pray that you help us not to be defined by a loss of faith. Help us to live victoriously and not give sincere excuses, but to simply obey. And Father, as we do so, I pray that we will have a life that is worth telling others about you. And, and Lord, I pray that our, the way that we live our lives will be different. And Lord, maybe then one day at our funeral, people can't help but say, there was something different about this person. Why is that? Because I saw Jesus in them. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.